happen to stand out. That each adult, when they go to work, when they go out into the community, that they're bold to know who they are in Christ, to speak about the things that you have done, that stretching forth your hand, signs and wonders would be wrought in the name of Jesus. We'll be the church undeniable in this generation, rising up because your glory has risen upon us. And so we do glorify you, we do magnify you, God, for that which you have done, that which you are doing, and that which you'll continue to do. And we give you glory and honor and praise and thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in every heart and in every life by your word and by your spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. Just good. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you should be great. You should be great. Amen. How are you? <laughs> Praise the Lord. How you all doing over here? Praise the Lord. How many of you are going to be at the encounter this week? Glory to God. Well, we're excited for the encounter, what's coming, and we're excited for you tonight. You can be dismissed. Give the youth a hand as they're dismissed. Praise the Lord. Why don't you in here greet two or three people around you. Tell them that you're glad that they're here tonight. And you can be seated. Praise the Lord. Man, we must have scared off all the front row people. Praise the Lord. There you go, Jordan. Thanks for filling in the gap. Glory to God. Well, I want to remind you uh, of just a couple of things that are coming up. Our 40th anniversary is coming up at the end of August. Praise the Lord. A New Creation Church, 40 years. And so we'd love to have a video of what New Creation Church has done for you. And all you got to do is take your phone, hold it this way, press play. Uh, it doesn't have to be something super professional. We just want to know what God has done uh, for you, how it's changed your life, what impact that it's had on your life. We trust that uh, uh, what, what God is doing here has impacted your life. And um, glory to God, it would be good to hear that. And uh, we're hoping uh, just have a great time of celebration. And so uh, remember that. And, uh, you, you know, again, praise the Lord. We want, we want to glorify God for what God has done. That's our whole thing. And so I know some people are like, you know, uh, uh, I just don't, uh, you know, I, don't, I just don't want to be on video. I don't like the camera. Uh, just give us, man, a, a testimony. It'll be awesome. Uh, you can get through it. I, I guarantee you. Nobody, well, there's a few people. I know a few people that don't like to be on camera, but I don't like to be on camera very much. And so, you know, COVID was really rough on me. I had to be on camera. I had to be, I had to learn how to do take 10, all that stuff. And so you can do it. God will be glorified. God will be magnified. And you'll learn some things about your phone. And so and that'll be awesome. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And we will appreciate it so much what you're doing. Uh, I just want to let you know uh, that Bible school and prayer school registration starts today. And so, you know, uh, uh, we're so grateful for prayer school. Uh, every church needs to be a praying church. And, and so many of you have taken prayer school, but if you haven't, and, and, you know, you're not ready for Bible school, you don't feel like you're compelled to go to Bible school, but you want to learn more about prayer, 
and, and how to pray. You know, uh, the Bible says praying always with all kinds of prayer or all manner of prayer. Brother Hagin used to say this, too often the church takes prayer, puts it in one big bag and shakes it up and pours it out. But there's different kinds of prayer. And so, uh, you know, sometimes we just think, well, I'm just a praying. And sometimes you're just a hoping and a wishing. You're not really praying. And so uh, it'll help you to pray. And uh, when we pray as a church, uh, it really uh, makes much power. It says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman makes much power available, dynamic in its working. And so prayer makes power available. Sometimes you got to tap into it by faith, but you are, when you're interceding, making power available for others. And so intercession is a powerful form of prayer. Communion with God is a, a form of prayer, the prayer of petition. And so if you want to learn more about prayer, you can go onto the app and sign up for prayer school. If you feel like you uh, have uh, leadership or ministry in your heart, Bible school, sign up for Bible school. This will be our 26th, I think our 26th year, maybe our 27th year of Bible school. Praise the Lord. And uh, so we have pastors who are pastoring who graduated from Bible school, leaders, staff members. Uh, um, praise the Lord. People, uh, mission uh, areas in, in all the world who graduated from Bible school. So we encourage you uh, to sign up for Bible school. And uh, if you're watching online, you can go onto the app, sign up for Bible school or prayer school. And so praise the Lord. We're glad that you all are with us. Those of you who are joining us online, uh, we want to receive this evening's tithes and offerings. And so in Proverbs, uh, Alan turned to this this morning. I, I love this scripture. Uh, uh, and as he brought it up, Proverbs eleven twenty four 24, it says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There's one who scatters, yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right. And it leads to poverty. You know, sometimes we think, you know what, if we're sowing seed or we're scattering, it might mean that we end up without. But God has uh, really declared to us, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. So whatever the situation, whether the sower is sowing the word, whether the sower is sowing finances, whether the sower is just sowing help into somebody else's life, sowing time, whatever it is that you sow, God said there's seed time and harvest. So sometimes we think, you know what, I'm, I'm just scattering myself. But when you're sowing and you understand, God always brings a harvest. But sometimes we think, well, you know what, I just won't have enough. And we withhold and we stand back and we, we hold back and it we seem to not have anything. You know, I know people just, just talking about time, not finances, but, that you know, they're serving and they're like, man, uh, it just seems like I'm so busy all the time. So they'll draw back from church or they'll draw back from serving in some way, and they don't ever have any more time. It doesn't create any more time. There's one who withholds more than is right, right, and it leads to poverty. In other words, he thinks, well, if I, if I quit doing that and if I quit serving here, I'll have more time, but they don't really have time. It fill, that time fills up with something else, and all of a sudden, instead of serving in the way that God had you, that, that energy has been taken up by something else, no matter what it is. So he goes on to say this, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Praise the Lord. When you're watering, you think, well, if I do that, but God makes sure that if you're watering someone else or something else, that you'll be watered as well. And so as we uh, look to sowing and reaping in, in tithes and offerings, we can look at this scripture and say, you know what, as I sow my seed, even though it seems like, you know what, what about, what about tomorrow am I going to have? We know that the generous soul will be made rich. And we thank you all for your generosity because you all are extremely generous. We're praying for you on a consistent basis that 2021 will be your best year that you ever had. 
that you're growing, you're increasing, and you're prospering in every single way. The Bible says that, that we would prosper. John said this, I pray that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. We pray more than anything that you grow in the Word of God and the knowledge of the Word of God, that your soul prospers because health and healing and financial material prosperity all come from the place of your soul prospering. And so we believe this will be your best year ever of prospering. We are also are declaring that uh, New Creation Church and all of its properties are paid for and more. And we're believing God that we're able to give uh, more into missions and outreaches than we ever have before. So you're a part of that. We're so thankful for it. And uh, all the number of ways of giving are up there. And if you are given by cash or debit or credit card, need a tax receipt for your giving, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. And so uh, if we're good, let's pray. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give. We thank you, Lord. It's a declaration of the covenant that we have with you. We entered into covenant with you by the blood of Jesus Christ. There was a declaration that everything that you had, everything that heaven has to offer belongs to us. And we were making a declaration that everything we have now belongs to you. And we bring our tithes and our offerings. We are physically declaring that it belongs to you. When we do that, we activate the covenant in such a way that the windows of heaven are open, that you pour out from your resource blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. And so we thank you, Lord, that the blessings of God come upon each and every giver, each and every one. We declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can go ahead and pass those buckets. Glory to God. In Luke, the fifth chapter, and the 17th verse, I just want you to notice something uh, real quick here. We have uh, been sharing on healing, faith and healing on Sunday night. And uh, praise the Lord. Verse 17, it says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching. Everybody say, Jesus was teaching. As he was teaching. Now, I just want you to jump down a little bit. Um, and it says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal. Everybody say, the power of the Lord was present to heal. As Jesus was teaching. Come on, your enthusiasm is overwhelming me tonight. Now, there's something that I want you to notice here, because if we're not careful, we think, you know what, there's only going to be power to heal. There's only going to be something when we get all stirred up and when there's, you know, and oh, oh the Holy Ghost is not going to move because there's teaching. But it says the power of the Lord was present while Jesus was teaching. But none of them realized they were all waiting for something else. But there was somebody who said, listen, Jesus is in there teaching and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When they pulled the roof off, Jesus saw their faith and that man got healed. And so as teaching goes forth, we always begin to look at whatever it is that we have need of. And we know that he sent his word and he healed them. That within the word of God, within his promises, within his word, there's everything that we have need of. It says that he provided everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness, and it comes through the knowledge of him. How do we know him? By looking into his word and hearing what he has to say to us. Praise the Lord. 
And so if you're here today and you need healing or you need any, every, anything from God, His power is present whether there's teaching, whether we're worshiping, whether there's just a, a, a tangible moving of the Spirit of God, we're all waiting for something different. But it says the power was present, but not one of them got healed. Why? Because they were just debating and listening to the teaching. They weren't anticipating the anointing that was on the teaching. Amen? So I want you to open up your hearts. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, when I was in Craig doing the 20th anniversary there, Pastor Tasha started uh, uh, teaching on faith that she didn't finish. And so I said, you need to finish that teaching. And so open up your hearts and uh, get ready uh, to receive uh, an artist, a poet, and my wife, Pastor Tasha. Why don't you come? I think, okay. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, go with me over to Hebrews 11, because that's where we uh, started, and that's where we'll finish tonight. Well, we'll finish in 12. But uh, we started this uh, talking about time for a faith lift. Faith. Our faith lift. So if your faith has been sagging through 2020, it's time to lift it up. And, uh, and we started that. And uh, so we are going to uh, go back to it. So we talked about faith and what is faith. And in Bible school, we define faith as a conviction of the truthfulness of God and his word. And so that conviction of the truthfulness of God and his word really moves our life in a direction. We live by a conviction. And so that conviction working in us causes us to live a life of faith because we believe God. And at its simplest form, faith is believing God. And so uh, that's what faith is. And so we said this about faith. We said it's believing in the impossible when everyone else says that's crazy, can't happen, impossible. No, faith is about believing in the impossible and seeing it happen because God says all things are possible to him who believes. And faith is believing. And then we said this. We said Bible faith is a vision from God fueled by action. There will always be an action on our behalf. When we are the ones who are desiring something from God, sometimes we put the whole responsibility on God. And we say, God, do this in my life. Do this. Move. Do this. But we don't realize that we have to really do something to connect our faith. And there's always an action on our part. Maybe it's confession. Maybe it's doing something. Maybe it's stepping out in an area. Maybe it's sowing a seed. But there's always an action. And so it's vision from God fueled by action. And then we said this. We said it's daring to act on what you see and hear from God. And we went over to Hebrews 11. And we started to look through all the people in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's called the Hebrews. Hebrews Hall of Faith. You know, we have halls of fame all over the world, and we've been to several of them in different places. There's Baseball Hall of Fame. There's Football Hall of Fame. We've been to some of those. We've been to all kinds of different halls of fame. But for the Bible heroes, 
there is a faith hall of fame, and it's right here in Hebrews 11. So we started to look at these, and we were looking at things that they did that caused their faith in God to grow. And so uh, as we go over here, let's read from Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed. I have to move my stuff around. <laughs> of things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. So he says here, faith is substance and faith is evidence and faith begins before we even see something. And we talked about this as well. In verse two, it says, for by faith, Trust and holy fervor born of faith, the men of old had divine testimony born to them and obtained a good report. By faith, we understand that the worlds during their successive ages were formed, framed, fashioned, and put in order and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God so that what we see was not made out of things which are visible. And so we saw that that words really, you know, we see words as communication tools. We see them as a way that we communicate with someone else. But in the original, in the beginning, words were for creation. And God said, I'm going to speak words of faith. And those words of faith will be substance of which I create. And then you will see the evidence of my faith. And so we saw that God made the world with words. I mean, how awesome is that? And we have really brought what God intended words for to a low level when we only use them for communication with right, each other. Right. And so God said, I'm going to take words and I'm going to put them in your mouth so that you can also create. And he gave us his words in the form of the Bible, his word. And so when we take his word and we say, Lord, you said this, and I begin to speak it over my life, I can speak healing over my life. I can speak blessing, and I can speak prosperity, and I can speak creation. I can speak miracles over my life. And see, that's an action that I put my faith with that God already did something and he gave me something to do now. I speak and what happens? Well, everything goes to work to create those things that God already said in my life. So how powerful is that? And then it goes on in verse four and it says, and prompted, actuated by faith, Abel brought God a better and more acceptable sacrifice than Cain because of which it testified of him that he was righteous, that he was upright and in right standing with God. God bore witness by accepting and acknowledging his gifts, and though he died, yet although through the incident, he is still speaking. And we looked at Abel, and we said that Abel actually, um, he worshiped God. He brought his sacrifice and he worshiped God. So we were looking at these and we were saying, what were the things that they did? Well, they worshiped God. They worshiped God and it caused their faith to grow and it caused them to be people of faith. So then we go on and it says in verse five, because of faith, Enoch. Enoch was caught up and transferred to heaven so that he did not have a glimpse of death and he was not found 
because God had translated him. For even before he was taken to heaven, he received testimony still on record that he had pleased and been satisfactory to God. But without faith, it is impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him out. And so what did Enoch do? Well, he walked with God. So they worshiped God and they walked with God. And if you want to know the details about those, go to the podcast from last Sunday night because it was really good. All right, so then we went on in verse 7, and it talks about Noah. And it says, by faith, prompted by faith, Noah being forewarned by God concerning events of which yet was no visible sign, he took heed and diligently and reverently constructed and prepared an ark for the deliverance of his own family. By this, his faith, which relied on God, he passed judgment and sentence upon the world's unbelief and became an heir, a possessor of the righteousness, that relation of being right in which God puts the person who has faith in him. And so we looked at Noah and we said that Noah worked with God. He worked with God and he worked hard. He built that whole ark, he and his family. And so we talked about that. And then in verse eight, it talks about Abraham. And what did Abraham do? It says, urged on by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. And he went forth to a place which was he was destined to receive an inheritance. And he went, although he did not know or trouble his mind about where he was to go. And it goes on talking about Abraham and Sarah. And what did they do? They obeyed the word of God. So we're seeing a pattern that people are working with God. They're walking with God. They're obeying the word of God. And then we saw those who waited on God. And they were found in uh, verse 20, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And so we read about them as well. And then, you know, waiting on God. We were talking about that just a little bit. But, you know, faith will require us to wait sometimes. Faith will require us to wait. And what do we do in the waiting? Well, the waiting isn't just like, hmm, checking my watch. God, you still haven't done anything. No, there's an active part of waiting. And so as they waited, they were really looking toward the future and they were applying their faith to what God said. So they're speaking in the waiting. There's all kinds of praying in the waiting. I mean, sometimes we feel like we're in an eternal waiting room waiting for the next thing that God said to happen, right? Or the one thing that God said to happen. But the truth is, God is faithful. And we will not wait forever because there will be a day when the word of God is fulfilled in our life. Amen. But Jesus said this. He said, the son of man will return, but will he find faith on the earth when he returns? I mean, that's a question for us. Sometimes we give up in the waiting. So waiting is a good, big part of our faith. And when we've done all the praying we can pray, when we've done all the believing we can believe, when we've done all that we know to do, sometimes we wait. And the greatest proof of our faith is that we continue to wait until we see what God promised. So sometimes that's what faith looks like. It waits. So then we go on, and we're going to go into the ones we're looking at tonight. And it says this. It says in verse 23... Prompted by faith, Moses, after his birth, 
was kept concealed for three months by his parents because they saw how comely the child was or how beautiful, one translation says, the child was. And they were not overawed and terrified by the king's decree. So it says here that Moses' parents were moved by God. They weren't moved by the king's decree. They weren't moved by their feelings. They weren't moved by fear even in that situation. You know, there was a lot going on right there. And the king was killing all the baby boys. And so when we look at that story, we find it in Exodus chapter 2. And I'm just going to read a little portion of it, Exodus 2, 3. It says, Now Amram, a man of the house of Levi, the priestly tribe, went and took his wife, Jochebed, or Yahobed, or, you know, however they say it in Hebrew. It says, he took his wife, a daughter of Levi, and the woman became pregnant and bore a son. And when she saw that he was exceedingly beautiful, she hid him for three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him for him an ark or a basket made of bulrushes or papyrus, making it watertight by daubing it with bitum and pitch. And then she put the child in it and laid it among the rushes by the brink of the river Nile. Okay, so I don't know a lot about the Nile River, but I do know that it's got a lot of crocodiles in it. And she took her baby boy of three months old and she put him in an ark and put him in the Nile River. Now that's a God idea, right? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what mothers do, no. And so this is a God idea, but it tells us in Hebrews that she did this prompted by faith. God told her to do that. God said do that. And so they saw that their child was beautiful. What does that mean? Well, he was beautiful, just like every baby boy is to their parents, but there was something else about him. Their child, well, okay, some baby, some babies only a mother could love, right? <laughs> I remember my niece, Natalie, said when her baby was born, she said, oh, she's beautiful. And I'm so relieved because I thought she might look like an alien. <laughs> what? <laughs> it was really funny. So we all laughed. Um, but so Moses, mother and, and father, looked at him and he was beautiful. But what they were seeing was not just a, that the baby was beautiful. They were seeing the anointing on him. Yeah. They were seeing the call of God on him. They were seeing that there was more to this baby, that this baby actually had a call, and that call was to be a deliverer. He was called to deliver the nation of Israel from the current situation that they were in. And so they saw that, and you know, all parents can see that in their children. And as I was reading about this, it, it made me think about, you know, we have such a responsibility with our children we have such a responsibility to draw those things forth and to really pull on those things that God has put in our children. And that's what his parents did. These were dire times. They were life and death times. And so God said, you know, I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to give you instructions and I'm going to tell you what to do. And her, their thoughts could have gone a number of different ways. They could have gone to fear. They could have gone to all kinds of different things. But can you imagine the faith that she had? Can you imagine? I mean, that's why, and that they had, that's why they're written down 
When it's talking about Moses' story, God says it doesn't just start with Moses, it starts with Moses' parents. It starts with them because they had faith to do something that had never been done before, and they made an ark. And we talked about with Noah how the ark was a, it was a salvation, and it really represented humanity coming into a place where they could have a second chance. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is an ark that all of humanity got into so that we could have a second chance. So an ark is a vessel of salvation. And God told her, make an ark. And he said, and I'm going to tell you how to do it so that your baby will be safe. And we know the story. The baby floated just a little ways away. And the Pharaoh's daughter was there and uh, down by the river, and she saw the baby, and she took the baby as her own. And not only did she take the baby as her own, she called, well, through Moses' sister, she called Jacobed, Moses' mother, to come and be a nursemaid for that baby. I mean, how wonderful is that? He was saved, and she still got to be his mother, and she got to impart into him all of the things of faith that were in her. And you know, that's what we do with our kids. We impart faith to them. And when it comes to our kids, we have a responsibility to put them in an ark or an atmosphere of faith that will surround them. And how do we do it? You know, in this world, it's like the Nile. It's full of crocodiles that want to eat our kids, okay? <laughs> and so what do we do? Well, we put them in an ark that is the word. It's the word of God and it's prayer. And we surround them in that ark. And we really create a place for them, a safe place for them. You know, they're going to decide whether they stay in that ark or not. And the Bible tells us that in Proverbs 22, 6. Out of the New Living, I'm going to read it. It says, teach your children to choose the right path. And when they are older, they will remain upon it. And we know this scripture, and it says, uh, teach your children the way in which they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. But I really like how the New Living Translation says, it says, teach your children the right path, the right path. And how do we do that? Well, we, we do it with the word. And you know, Moses' mom and dad did that. And it says that their faith influenced his faith. And so, you know, I was thinking about this. Our faith is so huge. And... If that's our call in life to be a parent and to be the best parent that we can be, I mean, how awesome is that? Because the things that we put into our kids, they will take further down the line. We can never diminish the, the things that God calls us to do and say, well, I'm just, I'm just a mother, I'm just a father, I'm just a this, I'm just a that. No, that's a huge calling. And so, um, how do we do that? Well, Psalm 119 says this in verse 160. It says, the sum of your word is truth. The total of the full meaning of all your individual precepts and every one of your righteous decrees endures forever. We put the word in them. We put the word in their hearts. We put the word. We speak the word over them. We pray the word over them. And when they are old, they have something, and the Holy Spirit has something to draw back up out of them. Yes. 
And so they will return. And, you know, the word of God is not just old ways and old values and, you know, this is how they lived in 1950. Those are, those are old ideas and old thoughts. No, these are for today. It says, your truth, your righteous decrees endure forever. <laughs> forever, forever. And, you know, that's what Jesus did in John 17, 14. Jesus said this about us. When he prayed for us, he said this. He said, I have given and delivered to them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. They do not belong to the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you will take them out of the world, but that you will keep and protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world or worldly, belonging to the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, purify consecrate, separate them for yourself and make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, I love that. Jesus said, I don't need to take you out of the world to keep the devil from affecting you. <laughs> I don't need to take you out of the world to keep you safe. I don't need to take you out of the world. What I need is to put the word in you. And he says, the word has the ability to sanctify, to purify, to consecrate, to separate for God and make holy. And it's the truth. It is the truth of God. So he didn't have to take them out of the world. In fact, he knew they were going into the world. And you know, our kids are going into the world. Our kids have a call to go into the world and to change it with the life that's in them. And so how will they be prepared? Because we put the word in them. And putting the word in them will cause them to be sanctified, purified, consecrated, separated for God's use, separated from the world, but full of power so that they can change this world. And there'll be those arrows. You know, the Bible tells us that, that uh, children are like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, and they go far beyond where the warrior can go. And so those arrows will go forth into the world, and they'll do what they're called to do because we've equipped them. So they'll have an impact. So I wonder if she really realized what she was doing at that moment, you know, how, what kind of faith it was, what kind of faith that she would be remembered for. But she was a woman of faith, Moses' mother. And when she made that ark, she was acting in faith. But I do know that she knew this. God heard her, and she heard God. Yes. And that is the confidence that we have in faith. We have a confidence that when we come into the presence of God, we can speak to him, and he'll speak to us, and he'll direct us, and he'll lead us, and he'll guide us, and he'll tell us which way to go. So that's her story. And she was moved by God. He, their, his parents, they were moved by God. They were moved by God. But then it goes on and it talks about Moses in verse 23. And it says, prompted by faith, Moses, after his birth, oh, sorry, 24, aroused by faith, Moses, when he had grown to maturity, and become great, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
because he preferred to share the oppression and suffer the hardships and bear the shame of the people of God rather than to have the fleeting enjoyment of a sinful life. He considered the contempt and the abuse and the shame borne for the Christ, the Messiah who was to come, to be greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. For he looked forward and away to the reward, the recompense. Motivated by faith, he left Egypt behind him, being unawed and undismayed by the wrath of the king, for he never flinched, but he held staunchly to his purpose and endured steadfastly as one who gazed upon him who is invisible. By faith, simple trust, and confidence in God, he instituted and carried out the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood upon the doorposts so that the destroyer of the firstborn, the angel, might not touch those of the children of Israel. Urged on by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as though on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do the same thing, they were swallowed up by the sea. So let's stop there. So Moses, he was also moved by God. They were moved by God. In the Hebrews' hall of faith, they were moved by God. Now, Moses knew that he was called of God. He felt that from the time he started growing up. He knew there was a compassion in his heart for the Hebrew people. And that's where his call was. He was called to be a deliverer. And, you know, he tried to step into that call just a little bit early. <laughs> and he saw an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew man. And he killed that Egyptian man. And then the next day, he was kind of called on it. And they told him, they said, oh, are you going to treat us like you treated him? Because we saw that. And Moses was afraid, and he ran. He ran to the desert. But he was running from God, but he couldn't run away from the call that was on his life. The Hebrews doesn't tell us all of the bad things. It only tells us all of the victories, the faith victories, right? And so it tells us that he was moved by faith, that he was... Uh, what does it say, prompted by faith, aroused by faith. And, it, and so he ran to the desert, and he couldn't get away from that call. So what did he find himself doing? Well, he was, there was shepherdesses who were watering their sheep, and they were being pushed out. And so all of a sudden, deliverer in him rose up, and he delivered them from the people who were trying to push them out. It was in him. And let's go over there to, to this story for just a minute in Exodus 3. So Moses is here, and he is, he can't run away from this call. It's in him, and it's a compassion. It's a compassion for the people of God. He is connected in a way that he cannot escape. And so it says here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock into the back or the west side of the wilderness, and came to Horeb, or Sinai, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. 
And he said, here am I. So here it is. It's the story. And in my head, and I don't know if this is the way it went, but in my head, I think this bush was burning for more than an hour, more than a day, more than two weeks. I think it was burning for a long time. I think there was an angel encamped at that bush with a big, you know, torch or whatever it was, and that bush was burning, and Moses knew it was God. But there came a day when he said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. I think he knew it was God, and I think he was running, and then all of a sudden he decided, I am going to... All right, I'm ready. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to see because I know this is God. It, he was tugging on him. And so Moses did. He went and he saw. And I mean, what a cool thing that the bush was even burning and then it started talking to him. <laughs> and then it says, And God said, Do not come near. Put your shoes off your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And also he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and the oppressors, for I know the sorrows and the sufferings and the trials. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand and the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up out into the land, a good land and a large, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of plenty, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them." Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And we know the rest of the story. He had all kinds of excuses and reasons why he was not the one. <laughs> and we all do that too at different times. Oh, you're not talking to me, God, right? And I think in my head, maybe that's why I think it took him a while to come to that bush. And now God is saying, no, it is you, and I'm going to send you. And you know what? It took great faith on Moses' part. And that's why he's in here, but God listened to and, and followed, or excuse me, Moses listened to and followed God through all of it. And it says to the point where he instituted the first Passover, a picture of Jesus when they shed the blood of that lamb and they put it on the doorpost. It was a picture of what was to come in Jesus and the deliverance that Egypt, or that the Israelites experienced coming out of Egypt was really a representation of us coming out of sin. How awesome is God from the very beginning? And he put those people in Moses' heart. So Moses could connect with a cause and everything that God told him to do, it was painting the picture for us so that we could see it. I love that, how the lamb is the lamb of God. And you know, kind of a funny thing, when my daughter Carrie was learning about, in children's church, about this story, about them putting the blood on the doorposts, she, we actually... I think we were building this building, right? And then we went to Las Vegas with our kids. Yes, we were building this building and we had worked really hard. 
And so a couple in the church gave us a week timeshare uh, that they had, and we went to Las Vegas with our kids. And so Carrie kept saying, I really want to go to the pyramid. I really want to go to the, the Luxor, you know. I really want to go there. And we were like, okay. And there's an aquarium there or something else. I don't know. There's something there. And so we had done all the things that there was to do that day. And, and Mark didn't go with us. Kate didn't go with us. You guys were doing something else. And so Carrie and I had done that that day. So we had done all of the things. And she said, but I said, are you ready to go? And she said, but no, I really wanted to go up and I wanted to see the rooms. <laughs> I said, see the rooms? I don't know if we can do that. And she said, yeah, I really want to. I want to see the doors. I want to see the rooms. And I wasn't putting it all together. And we walked into the, we went up the elevator and we walked into a hallway and uh, we, and I'm like, these are the rooms. <laughs> we can't go inside because we don't have a room here. And she said, but where's the blood? <laughs> She was putting it all together that the pyramids were in Egypt. And if this was a pyramid, then it was going to be the, the pyramids of Egypt and there was going to be blood on the doorposts. And it was so funny to me. So, <laughs> But, you know, our kids learn and they, and they expect God in that same way. It's like the faith of a child. So Moses, he was connected to the cause of Christ before he even knew it would be him. He was connected. And Moses put aside his own insecurities and mistakes, and he moved with God. They were moved by God. These Hebrews, heroes, they were moved by God. And so Moses comes and he faces Pharaoh unafraid and full of faith. And he does exactly what God told him to do. And Numbers 12, 3 is said of Moses that he was very meek gentle, kind, and humble above all the men on the face of the earth. One translation says it this way. It says he was the humblest man, the meekest man who ever lived. Wow. See, that just shows me his heart. His heart was for the people. And to the point when God was prompting and moving some, some person to pray for these people who had gone astray, he said, Moses, let's just start over with you. These are your people that you brought out. And Moses said, wait a minute. And we just read it. You said all the way back in Exodus that they were your people, God. <laughs> you said they were your people. They're not my people. No, we can't start over. They're your people. And you said you would deliver them. And he stood on behalf of the people. So he had a heart for them. And he moved, moved, was moved by God for the people. And I love that about Moses. But then we read on, and it says the next person. In verse 30, it says, Because of faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, and they had been encompassed for seven days by the Israelites. And the next person is Joshua, and he's not named by name there but he was the one that led them in that march around the city. And God did exactly what he said he would do when they marched around that city. And whoever would have come up with that battle plan, you know? That is not a military strategy to march, 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 shout! <laughs> no, it's not. But that was the only plan that would have worked in this case because that was God's plan. And so Joshua led them in that. And then in verse 31, it says this, prompted by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed along with 
those who refused to believe and obey because she had received the, the spies in peace without enmity. Rahab, what, what do we see and recognize when we read her story? Well, they were found in God. It says Rahab was a prostitute, and it really makes that pretty clear. But, you know, some people say, well, she was an innkeeper. <laughs> okay, call her whatever you want. But the Bible says <laughs> that she was a prostitute. But do you know Rahab's story? I mean, we've read it a lot, right? She was a prostitute, but she was saved by grace because she put the scarlet cord out of her window. And when that was out of her window, her house and her whole household were saved. Talk about being saved by grace through faith. That's her story. That's her story. But her story doesn't end with her. She married a guy called Salmon. And he was of the tribe of Judah. And they had a son. And their son's name was Boaz. And Boaz married a girl called Ruth. Do you remember all those people? So Rahab and Ruth are, the, are two of the women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Because they're of the tribe of Judah they're in the line of Jesus on Joseph's side. And so here they are, a prostitute and a foreigner who are written down forever in the genealogy of Jesus. And I love that. That is faith. And so they had faith. And then it goes on and it says this. It said, and what shall I say further? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets. But we do have a little time, so we're going to talk about them. <laughs> so let's talk about some of them. Here they are. What did they do? All of these in this group, they fought for and with God, and they have great stories of faith. When we learn about all of those Hebrews, hall of faith, men and women, these are some of them that stand out. And they fought for the Lord with all of their might, but they have one thing in common. They had great difficulties, great disappointments, and great battles with their flesh a lot of times. A lot of these did, but they ended up being warriors for the Lord. And so we see a lot of grace in their lives. And Pastor Mark said this this morning. He said, grace makes it available. Faith makes it possible. We see that God moved them past their difficulties, their fear, their insecurities, and he moved them into places of victory because of their faith. There's our stories of grace and faith working together. And so they are great victories. And I loved something that Alan said today, too. He said, most people take God's word with a grain of salt or with a degree of skepticism. But faith, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Faith is believing wholeheartedly in the things that God said. And these guys had great victories because they believed wholeheartedly. So Gideon, he's the first one. And what did Gideon do? What, what, what was Gideon known for? Well, he was a wheat farmer who was threshing wheat because in the wine press because he was hiding from the Midianites. And so God comes and God speaks to him. And it's in Judges 6, 12. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of fearless courage. 
Oh, my goodness. And Gideon said to him, Oh, sir, if the Lord is with us, <laughs> then why has all of this befallen us? And where are all of his wondrous works of which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and he said, Go in this your might, and you shall save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said, oh, you've got some questions. <laughs> oh, you're going to take that tone with me? Well, let me tell you, you just turn that tone around on the Midianites, and I'll be with you, and we'll do it together. <laughs> And they did. They did. Gideon wasn't convinced at first. In fact, it took a little bit of convincing. And then one of those Midianites had a dream of a little dinner roll rolling down into their camp and knocking down all of their tents. And he said, this is nothing but the hand of the Lord on Gideon. He said, the sword of Gideon. And so Gideon took that and he said, all right, I'm emboldened, and we're going to do this. And God used him, even though he thought he was the littlest person of the littlest tribe, he was the smallest of the small. God said, no, actually, when you're with me, you're the biggest of the big. He said, so stand up and go in this your might. I love that. So Gideon did it. And we learn from him that God wants to use us in our day. And it doesn't matter what our place is, and it doesn't matter where it is. If we will partner with the Lord, he yeah. will do it. Amen. He'll do it. And then we see Barak. And you remember Barak's story in Judges as well. He was the commander of God's army, but he didn't want to go to battle unless Deborah would go with him. Deborah was called the mother in Israel. She was the only female judge. And so he said... I, I uh, think that we could win, but I don't want to go without you. And what do we learn from Barak? That we have to overcome those insecurities, that we have to have faith for ourselves, that nobody can stand in faith for us, but that we have to hear and believe God on our own. You won't answer in heaven to, to what somebody else did or believed. You will answer to what you did and believed with God's word. And so Barak sacrificed his glory in the battle, but he learned a great lesson. He learned that when God says it, he, God will cause us to have a victory. And so that was Barak. And then there was Samson that he mentioned. And so Samson, we know his story too. He was very anointed, but Samson struggled with great personal battles of his flesh and of his appetites. And God called him to things that he never even really realized. In fact, God, uh, I think God had, had very high aspirations for Samson. He called him to be a Nazarite, which meant that he separated himself only for God's use. But his flesh and his appetites really moved him into places, and he made decisions that were not wise decisions. And so... Uh, when we read about Samson, this scripture comes to my mind, and it's James 4.4, 4, and it says, you are like unfaithful wives having love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. 
We can't serve two masters, the Bible tells us, not money and God, not being a friend of the world and being a friend of God. So what are we going to do? Samson really tells us and shows us that we have to really separate ourselves from those things and, and make decisions to de our, dedicate ourselves to God. And so in his story, guess what? He's mentioned here, though. He's mentioned here. And why is he mentioned here? Because he got right back on track. He got back on track. And he realized that my relationship with God is really all that matters. And I bet that Samson was one praying, Lord, just give me one more chance. Give me one more chance. And his hair grew back and his strength came back. And guess what? He knocked down those pillars and he sacrificed his own life to defeat the enemy that day. And, and in giving his life, I mean, really, we all lay down something. Something has to die for us to live to God. And Samson chose that. And then there's Jephthah. And I am running out of time. <laughs> but Jephthah is a really great one. And you know his story, too. It's also found in Judges. And he was like, he, I call him the Prince of Thieves. <laughs> because he was uh, the son of many sons, but he was born from a harlot. And so all of his brothers rejected him, and they said, we don't want you getting any of the inheritance. And so Jephthah, you're not going to be part of our family anymore. And they didn't need him, and they rejected him. And so he became the prince of thieves. And as he was being really good at that, they started needing him. Because they said, you know, we, we need you now because we need your certain talents or gifts, right? <laughs> we need you to be one who will fight for us. And so now, because he's so good at winning battles, they want to accept him back. And he says, you know that if you accept me back into the family, that you will, I will lead you. I will be leader over you. And they said, yes, we want you back. And so they made him leader. He won the battle and he made a vow. And the vow was this, whoever or whatever greets me coming out of my home when I come home from this battle, if you give me the victory, Lord, I will dedicate to you. So that was his vow. Well, the one who came to meet him was his only daughter, his only daughter. And she met him on the road dancing and singing for his victory. And his heart was broken. And he went, oh, no, it's my daughter. And he said, but I won't break my vow to you, God. I'll continue and I'll keep my vow to you. And so he told his daughter his vow, and his daughter was wholeheartedly in. And she said, I will dedicate myself to the Lord. And she said, give me this time to, as it says in Judges, bewail my virginity. <laughs> And then she came back, and she was dedicated to the Lord. And the, the Talmud says that she was like the first nun. She dedicated her life to serving the Lord. And so here she was, and what does that story tell us? How is that faith? The faith that comes in this part. Because he was not going to go back on his vow to God. He saw the faithfulness and keeping his vow to God as the most important thing in his life. It was greater than having descendants. It was greater than having the, the, the 
what that would bring for his family lineage to go forward, he considered the reward of the Lord to be the greatest thing in his life. And I love that story because it shows us a father who made a vow and a child who kept the father's vow. Now, what does that sound like? You know, our father God made a vow. He said, should my children ever need redemption, my son will be the one to go. And Jesus said, Father, I will keep your vow (laughs) and I'll willingly do it. It's a picture. It's a picture of Jesus and the Father. And it really shows us that God, uh, in numbers it tells us this, has he said it and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken it and shall he not make it good? Wow. God keeps his word. God's not a man that he should lie and he'll never go back on anything that he has said. And that's why his word is truth and it stands forever. We read that. His word will stand forever and it's truth. Why? In fact, the Bible tells us that the the whole world is held together by the integrity of God. Oh my goodness. Should God ever break a vow or lie, tell a lie, the whole world would fall apart. God is true to his word and that's why we can have faith and that's why Jephthah's story is mentioned right here in the Hebrews Hall of Faith because there's so much weight on that story that seems so hard to understand sometimes. Why did he say that and why did he do that? Because it's a picture. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture. You know, the, the, whole, the whole Bible is about two things. It's about the first coming of Jesus, the Messiah, and the second coming. And they all lived looking forward and toward the first coming, but we all live looking forward to and to the second coming. And so all of it comes together for us. All of it does, and it builds our faith. And the last one mentioned here is David. And it says uh, uh, no, no details about David, or no, I guess Samuel's the last. No details about David, but we know so well his stories. We know all of the things. And David also dealt with personal battles. And uh, David is known for being a man after God's own heart. And why is that? Because he continued to come back to the Lord no matter what happened. No matter whether it was problems with his brothers, with his wife, and we see those in the word, with his children, with his people that he was leading, no matter what, David always came back to the Lord. No matter whether he had sinned or or whether times were good. And we see so many of his thoughts recorded all throughout the Psalms. And we can mark the times in David's life by those. And we can see that his heart was for the Lord. And lastly, there's Samuel. And it says this in 1 Samuel 3.9. It says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. You know, Samuel was small when he came into the house of the Lord. And he said to Eli the priest, are you calling me? And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And he came and he said, are you calling me? And he said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And then Eli got a clue and he said, wait a minute. He said, the Lord is calling you, Samuel. And he was just little. He was tiny. But he was being called of the Lord. And it says of him, he grew 
And the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel was faithful to the word of God and God was faithful to his word over Samuel. And so what a man of faith, what people of faith, but that's not the end. It goes on and it reads this from 33. It says, who by the help of, the, of faith subdued kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, blessings, closed the mouths of lions, extinguished the power of raging fire, escaped the devourings of the sword, out of frailty, the weakness and weakness won strength and became stalwart, even mighty and resistless in battle, routing alien hosts. Some women received again their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured to death with clubs, refusing to accept release. Offered, excuse me, release. Offered on the terms of denying their faith so that they might be resurrected to a better life. Others had to suffer the trial of mocking and scourging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were lured by tempting offers to renounce their faith. They were sawn asunder. They were slaughtered by the sword while they were alive. They had to go about wrapped in the skins of sheep and goats, utterly destitute, oppressed, cruelly treated. You know, that's speaking of Isaiah the prophet when it says sawn asunder. The, the legend says in the Talmud that he was... Uh, hiding from Manasseh inside the hollow trunk of a tree. And Manasseh told his men to saw that tree in half, and they did it, and blood flowed from the tree. That's how Isaiah the prophet is told to have died. Oh, my goodness. It says they were utterly destitute, oppressed, and treated cruelly. Men of whom the world was not worthy, roaming over the desolate places of the mountains and living in caves and caverns and holes of the earth. And all of these, though they won divine approval by means of their faith, did not receive the fulfillment of what was promised. Because God had us in mind and had something better and greater in view for us, so that these heroes and heroines of faith should not come to perfection apart from us before we could join them. Oh my goodness. I love this so much. It's just beyond words. It just moves my heart. You know, all of these people did so much for the Lord and they moved in faith, but they're no different than all of us. And God said he didn't want them to have something that we didn't. And really what they were looking forward to, we have, and that's Jesus. We have, and we have something actually that they didn't. We have the word, the name, and the blood. And you know what Revelation tells us? Revelation tells us in Revelation 12.10, then I heard a strong, loud voice in heaven saying, Now it has come, the salvation and the power and the kingdom, the dominion, the reign of our God, and the power, the sovereignty, the authority of his Christ, the Messiah. For the accuser of the brethren who keeps bringing before God charges against them day and night has been cast out. And they have overcome, conquered him by means of the blood of the Lamb and the utterance of their testimony, and they did not love their and cling to life even when faced with death, holding their lives cheap until they had to die for their witnessing. It says they love not their, their lives unto death. 
They love not their lives unto death. You know, we're in the same situation. The blood of the Lamb has been shed. Our testimony can be the testimony of the Word of God, but we have to not love our lives unto death. And what is it that needs to die? What is it that needs to be set aside so that we can live in faith like they lived? Because every one of them experienced it. The putting aside of something so that they could believe God wholeheartedly. And Paul adds his two cents here in chapter 12. It says, therefore then. Whenever you see a therefore, you always look up and you see why it's therefore, what it's there for. And it's there because of all of those that have gone before. Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, every unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief and also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself, Reckon up and consider it all in comparison with your own trials so that you may not grow weary or exhausted or lose heart and relax and faint in your minds. Wow. <laughs> He's saying so that you don't burn out, right? Are you hearing a lot about burnout these days? I am. And I was watching the Today Show and they had an expert on burnout. <laughs> And the expert on burnout was giving some ideas about how not to be burned out. And you know what the number one was? Quit talking about burnout. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The expert on burnout said people have got to quit talking about burnout. And we've got to move on with our lives and get on with our lives and start doing different things than dwelling on our burnout. And that's what he says here. He says, you're going to get weary and exhausted and lose heart and relax and faint in your mind if you don't think about and put your focus on Jesus. And he says this, strip off every sin and every weight. You know that sin and weights are different? Sin, I mean, of course we know. James tells us, he who knows to do right and does it not, to him it is sin. And we know that we have to get sin out of our life. And we could name the seven deadly sins or, you know, all kinds of sins, right? And we know we have to get those out. But what are weights? What are the weights? Well, the weights are the things that weigh us down and keep us from running for him like we should. And so weights can be perfectly good things at one time in our life, but when we're trying to run, we need to leave them behind. And so they can be 
perfectly great and wonderful things for one season. You know, one of our pastor friends just took up flying again. So he was the youngest instructor in his state uh, for a flight instructor at 18 years old and loved flying. It was something that he loved. But the, it took a lot of time for him because it wasn't his profession. It was a hobby. And so the Lord said, I want to put this, you to put this aside for now because you're running with me. Well, now he's in a point in his life where he's taking it back up again. Just because it's a weight at one time of our life doesn't mean that it will be another time in our life. But there's a lot of times where we need to put something down because it's going to take the time, the energy, and the resources that we need to give to what the Lord's telling us right now. But he says, when we put those weights and sin aside, there's a promise. There's a promise. He says, when we look to Jesus, there's a promise. The promise is that he'll run with us, that we'll be strengthened, we'll be equipped, we'll be encouraged, we'll be reinvigorated, and we'll be on fire for him. And it says in verse 29 of Hebrews 12, for our God is indeed a consuming fire. You know, the way to not be burned out and to become one of the heroes in the hall of faith, having longevity to our faith, you know one of the keys? It's to be consumed with the fire of God because you will never burn out because he is a consuming fire. <laughs> he is. And when we focus on him and when we look unto Jesus, I mean, that's all we need to keep going. And that's how they did it. And so while we're waiting in faith, we worship, we work, we walk, we obey God, we're moved by him, we're found in him, we are fighting for him, and he is always faithful. And that's the wrap-up. Sorry it took us a little longer for our Hebrews Hall of Faith. But it was good, wasn't it? And I hope it was encouraging for you. And I hope that as we are looking forward into the things that God has, that we remember these and that we remember and read their stories because there's so much in them to build us up and to keep us going strong. All right, that's it. Pastor Mark's coming. He's closing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. I just want to encourage you in something we've been praying about as she shared that and went through all of those things that we don't leave that behind. And, and so... Um, I think it turned the page on me here real quick. Um, so right here in verse 3 when it says, Just think of him who endured such uh, from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. Reckon up and consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart, relaxing and fainting in your minds. You know, when, when uh, Jesus approached Peter and Luke, um, I know where it is, but I just lost in my thinking. Um, um, maybe Luke chapter, I don't know, Luke. Anyway, you know the story where he came to him and he, he said, uh, uh, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He said, all these things come into our life to sift us. And he didn't say, I'm not going to, I'm going to pray for you and tell the devil to leave you alone. He said, I'm going to pray that your faith doesn't fail you. 
And so he comes, Paul comes back to this same thing in Hebrews, or the writer of Hebrews. He says, listen, you can get so distracted and so busy with all kinds of things that you get so exhausted. The enemy's just going to agitate and shift. That, that sifting is just agitation. So many things to get you just distracted and agitated in your mind that you just want to faint. And he said, now is not the time. Now is not the time. Now is the time to begin to build ourselves up. Now is the time. Church, now is the time. Not later. Now is the time to not get weary, to not faint, to not get exhausted, to not let distraction come. But now is the time to build yourself up on your most holy faith. It's time to get into the Word. It's time to look at how these people right here endured, how they walked, how they obeyed, how they... uh, 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 tempered their faith, how they saw all that God did, how they were preserved, how they were protected, how they operated, how they took on confusion, how they took on questions, but still obeyed God. Because the enemy's coming to sift the church, to agitate the church. Jesus said, when I come, will I find faith in the earth? In other words, there's going to be the opportunity for faith to just go away and people be so distracted by other things. But God says, now is not the time. Now is not the time to set aside the word of God. Now is the time to set aside the weight and the sin and focus on the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not a time to be at a faith deficit. It's a time to put, bring your faith to an all-time high to see everything that God has promised. Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. We can get meditate on that, see what they did, see the, the, the instances where they continued to move in faith. You know, if you notice all these people, they didn't just perfectly walk through it. They heard God. They obeyed God. Most of them tried to make what God said happen on their own, found out that didn't work. So they had to go back, and God was always faithful as they remained faithful to God. He'll always be faithful. Amen? Why don't you stand up? Say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.